0: All right, we're back in uh, Romans chapter 8. Guys, this is this is just, I think, one of, one of the most amazing chapters in all of the Bible. Matter of fact, some of the things we're going to talk about tonight, you're going to go, hey, Lynn, I've heard you talk about that before, because it's one of my favorite chapters. I think it's one of the most powerful chapters uh, in all of Scripture. Um, next week, we're going to get, hopefully, we'll get done with 8 tonight, we'll be going to 9. The irony is, chapter 8 is one of the most thrilling chapters in the Bible. Chapter 9 is one of the most controversial chapters uh, in all of the Bible. And uh, so we're going to have some fun the next couple of weeks together. So grab your Bibles. It's Romans chapter 8. I'm hearing that you guys got through verse 17 last week. Does that sound right? Yep, yeah? Okay. All right. So here we go. Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 18. Uh, here's what Paul says. Oh, whoa whoa whoa, 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 whoa. Before we start that. Okay. So, again, I just want to set up what we've been uh, talking about. As we've been going through Romans, Romans chapter 1, Through chapter 5, what was Paul trying to get us to? What was he teaching us? Everybody's lost. And then what happened after everybody's lost? How do you get saved? Remember Romans 5 gets us to, there was one Adam who sinned on behalf of everybody. But there's a second Adam, Jesus Christ, who hung on a cross for everybody. Remember that? So everybody gets saved by chapter five. One through four, you need a savior. Chapter five, here's the savior. After chapter five, the conversation shifts and the conversation now is about what? Say it louder. Sanctification, which is just a huge Bible word for how do you live for Christ? How do you get closer and closer and closer and closer to looking like and behaving like Jesus Christ would look like and behave like in the same situation? And the goal of every single person who's experienced salvation is then to become like Christ. Hence, sanctification or becoming holy, becoming like him. Okay, uh, Chapter 6, if you remember, uh, he talked to us and said, Hey, guys, you're no longer slaves to sin. You've been freed, but now you're actually slaves to... Do we remember? Not to the cross. We were slaves to sin. Now you're slaves to righteousness. Okay, chapter 6. Chapter 7, uh, the world's probably best Christian says to you and me, Hey, there's a bunch of things that I know I should do, but I find myself not doing them. And then, and then there's some things that I know I shouldn't do. And I, I find myself doing them. And so in chapter seven, he says, Hey, I'm just telling you this following Jesus thing. It, it's hard. This isn't, this isn't easy. This is a lot of effort. And the truth is you're going to stumble along the way and you have to get back up and you have to just keep going uh, for Christ. Chapter 8, which you and I are going to be finishing up tonight, he's going to then encourage us and say, but here's the thing you need to know is that Jesus is going to give you and me the strength. He's going to give you and me the capacity to follow him to the point that you and I are actually going to be overcomers in this life. If we'll surrender, if we'll completely give ourselves to him, then all of a sudden you and I are going to find victory over the things we were struggling with in chapter 6 and chapter 7. Okay. So we're well into sanctification. All right. There we go. Here we go. Romans chapter eight, starting in verse 18. Here's what uh, he says. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Okay. So when Paul says, Hey, uh, we've got some struggling going on. we got some sufferings going on. What do you think he's talking about? Where am I, do I have mic runners tonight? Okay. So, all right. So there we go. We got mic runners. All right. So when Paul says, Hey, we've got some suffering here, we got some struggling going on. What do you think he's talking about when he says that? Persecution from the Roman government. Okay. So it's very likely that there's persecution going on for these believers. And you've got to remember, it's probably coming from two directions. Not only are the Romans uh, frustrated with them, because remember, the Romans are polytheists. And now all of a sudden, you've got this crazy, wacky group of Christians saying, no, 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 there's only one God. And actually, Christianity is taking a lot of root and gaining a lot of momentum. And so they're losing a lot of, a lot of their culture right now is being attacked by this movement of Christians. Who else is frustrated with the Christians right now? Yeah, Jews. Uh, Jews are going, wait a minute, you're this kind of cult. Uh, you're, you're taking what we have, and now you're going off in this kind of sideways direction and claiming that you follow God, but you follow this Jesus character. And, and so Jews are persecuting him. So if you're a Christian, you're getting it from both sides. You, you literally are in no man's land and nobody's in it with you. Okay? So there's that struggle going on in their life. What else is possibly the struggle that's going on? What? Trials. trials. Okay, so, and you've got to remember, if you're on the wrong side of the Romans, the wrong side of the Jews, then you're probably having hard times with employment. You're having a hard time feeding your kids because where's the money coming from? Uh, can your kid even enroll in school? I don't know. I mean, you realize you're getting it from every direction. So there's surely trials going on. Where else are they potentially struggling? Okay, so here, whoa, hey, you don't deny the mic. Here we go. He ran faster than I've ever seen a mic runner run. You are amazing. What's your name, man? Huh? Eden? Aiden. You are an amazing mic runner, Aiden. All right. There you go. Internally amongst themselves. Yeah. So, I, you know, I, I think there's uh, potentially struggles, you know, amongst themselves. But also potentially just the struggle that Paul has just finished talking about in chapter 7, right? I'm trying to do the right thing. I'm trying to follow Christ. I'm struggling to follow Christ. So stop and think about it. If you're a Christian in the first century here, you're you're getting it from everywhere. This following Jesus thing is way harder than you thought it was going to be in the first place. Everybody that used to like you hates you now. Uh, you're struggling economically. Uh, and, and it is tough. To be a Christian. So with that in mind, stop and go back to the passage. And what he says is, he says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. Well, what's the glory that's going to be revealed in us? What's Paul talking Because he's saying, hey, all this struggle, all this persecution, everything we're having to go through, all the price that we're paying to follow Jesus, it doesn't even compare it's not even a drop in the bucket when I stop and consider the glory that's waiting for us. So what is that? Okay, so mic runners, get ready. What's the glory waiting for us? Heaven. Heaven, okay. So I get, I get to live with God, right? I get to have, remember, glorified body. Remember, that part's pretty cool because none of us is on Jenny Craig anymore, right? And uh, no one's getting hip replacements. It's all, I mean, all of that's done. So that's all pretty cool. What else is the glory that's waiting for us? It's not just heaven. Okay. We got some hands. We're only pretending to give you the mic. All right. There we go. Eternal life. All right, it's eternal life. So that's going to kind of, again, be wrapped up a little bit in heaven. Forgiveness. Forgiveness. Okay, it's kind of wrapped up in heaven. Man, there's some good stuff you're missing. You're living with Christ. What? You're living with Christ. Christ. You're living with Christ. That's cool. I like that. All right, so back here. Our ultimate sanctification. All right, your ultimate sanctification. So in other words, you and I are going to be set free from sin. Right, We'll no longer have a sin nature. Isn't that cool? So you're not, you're not going to have this struggle with temptation anymore. You're going you're to look at stuff right now that holds you captive and go, nah, I don't want to do that. All right? So that's pretty cool to release from that. But what else is in our ultimate glory? We're destined to rule and reign with Christ. Hmm. Hey, guys, I don't know why we don't talk about this or we forget this, but you realize that, that God is so clear in Scripture to say, hey, if you live faithfully for me, I'm going to reward you. I'm going to reward you when you get to heaven. Matter of fact, 1 Corinthians, remember that, that whole passage that says, hey, uh, be careful what you live for because some people are living lives and all they're earning with their lives is wood, hay, and stubble. And the problem is uh, when, you, when you buy your wooden Lexus and when, when you buy your hay 96-inch screen TV, and I go, nothing wrong with those things. I've got a big TV. I've got that. But all you just need to know is is that the investments in your life you make that way, the Bible says, are wood, hay, and stubble. And you know this already because you threw away your old 35-inch TV, right? It all wears out. It all goes away, at a, right? And so, but then Jesus turns around and says, but there are some people who are living their life in a way that produces gold, silver, precious stone. Things that will be absolutely there for eternity for them. And Scripture over and over again talks about being given crowns in heaven as a response to how you and I live. So he says, you realize that the struggle we have here is nothing compared to the commendation, compared, compared to the glory that Jesus is going to give us for having lived our lives well. So that this is a little off, but maybe you know, maybe it, maybe it helps a little bit. So our church is in a conference of churches. And uh, over the past few years, I've kind of worked to help plant churches. I've gone and coached churches that were struggling, all of that type of stuff. Um, last year, Lisa and I are at a meeting, and we didn't know this was going to go on. But they ended up calling Lisa and I up to the front of the meeting. And at the front of the meeting, they ended up, you know, they gave Lisa and I both watches. Uh, they gave us Apple watches, which was pretty cool. That was a cool thing. But you realize that Apple Watch, and that would never, for the amount of hours, I mean, I could have bought it myself. The wonder of the moment was that they stopped in a moment and and recognized. It was the commendation of the moment. It was people saying, hey, we're grateful for your life and thank you for investing in us and spending your time, which was pretty cool. It It was a good moment and it was great to our hearts. But imagine if that was Jesus, Imagine being in heaven and Jesus coming up to you and saying, man, thank you. Thank you for how you lived your life. And here's here's what I'm giving you, just as an expression of just how proud I am of you and how grateful I am for how you lived. That's what Paul is saying. Whatever we're struggling with, I mean, that's nothing to getting to heaven and have Jesus walk up to you and say, man, that was a great life. And let let me just reward you for the way you lived. For the type of mom you were, for that moment you stood up for what was right when everybody else was doing the wrong thing, for, for that moment when you thought about going and looking on the computer at stuff you shouldn't have looked at and you said, no, let, let me just commend you for a life well lived. And Paul says, nothing that I'm pain right now, no struggle that I'm going through right now, no rejection that I'm going through right now, no pain or suffering that has any even a candle to seeing and hearing Jesus say that to me. To the glory that waits for us in heaven. Now, here's the flip side of that conversation. You get that Paul's not surprised about the suffering. Paul's not saying, hey, whoa, 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 whoa. I, I, I don't know why you're suffering. And it, don't worry, the suffering will be gone in a minute or two. And it will pass away. And, and Jesus will do something. And it will all turn out perfect. So don't, He doesn't say that. He says, the time it turns out right is when we stand before him in glory. That's when the suffering makes sense. But between here and now, there potentially can be a lot of suffering. See, whoever told you that living the Christian life was going to solve all your problems, lied. They lied. I'm sorry they told you that. I'm sorry that you got into it. But now that you're here, I'm just telling you, it's a lie, okay? That is not the promise of following Christ. Matters of fact, Jesus said very clearly, Following me may cost you everything before it's all said and done You may you may have to turn to your family and say I know you don't understand i'm going to follow jesus anyways You may have jobs that you lose because you say in integrity. I can't tell that lie Uh, You may have people that you date and you have to say, you know what? I can't date you You don't love my jesus the way I love my jesus And jesus was very clear to say hey if you're not ready to leave all that behind to follow me Then you're not ready yet uh, it costs to be a follower of Jesus Christ. All right, so let's talk for a second about suffering. What are the reasons why God would allow suffering in our lives? Why why would God allow a Christian to suffer? Okay, so come on, runners, get ready. We are anxious to answer this. We're angry about it, but we're anxious to answer it. Okay, Why? So we, seek it, so we can seek God and so we know that we can't do it on our own, that we need Christ to guide us and lead us? To learn dependence? Hey, how many, how many people in here would be honest with me today and say, if I never had a struggle, I'd probably think I was pretty, pretty impressive. See, I, I don't know about you, but man, I, I could get arrogant so fast. I mean, if my life did nothing but turn up roses, I'm, I'm pretty sure I could get pretty impressed with myself, right? And so wouldn't a loving God who knew that that attitude would be absolutely destructive for you, every once in a while, want to knock you down a notch or two, not to be ornery, but just to remind you that you really do need him. How many dads do that to their kids all the time just to, just to, for fun? All right, well, there you go. Okay, a couple of really good dads in the room. That's what you do. You know, you play basketball, you let them make a couple shots, and then you slam it in their face. That's what you do if you're a dad. You just got to remind them. Why else would God allow suffering? Because God is holy, and we are to be holy, and he's growing us to be holy, and it's a purification. It's mm. through the refiner's fire, um, because that is the ultimate goal is to be more like Christ and holy like Him. And the only way to do that is through that growth. Mm. There are lessons that you and I will never learn in life without pain. And we just say this again there are lessons that you and I will never learn in life without pain. And I don't like that. And I wish I could learn all of my lessons without pain. But, guys, I'm just going to challenge you because, as as distasteful as that is, I would challenge you that if you look back and if you've lived with, you know, if you're a baby Christian, then you maybe haven't experienced this. You haven't gone far enough yet. But my guess is is that if you've been a Christian for a length of time, and if you really look in retrospect and you would say, the hardest times in my life, the most unfair times of my life, uh, the, the times of my life that I hated while they were happening, are actually the times in my life where God formed Jesus in me. He taught me things that I I don't know that I would have known if I hadn't lived in that unfairness, if I hadn't been rejected, if 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 that hurt hadn't happened in my life. Okay, so here we go. Long suffering. Wow, long suffering is one of the fruits of the spirit. Sure. Yeah, and I think, you know, again, long-suffering, I think, might be one of the lessons. Uh, you know, it, it's James chapter 1. You know, James chapter 1 says, hey, when you face trials of many kinds, you know, it produces perseverance and perseverance, you know. So there are lessons in our life that we learn on the wrong side of pain. Now, here, let me, get, let me give you a real clue on this one real quick. If God is teaching you a lesson, okay, think about this a second. So God's teaching. So so give me me something God might be teaching me through pain. What would he might be teaching me? Patience. So God is teaching me patience through pain. What's the quickest way to get done with the lesson? No, no, no. I'm in the trial. I want the trial to go away. What's the quickest way to get the trial to go away? Huh? Learn the lesson. Learn the lesson. Hey, God, you want to teach me to trust you? I trust you. Oh, okay, we're done with that trial. All right, good, that's great. Learn the lesson. Oh, you want to teach me to be more loving to my wife? Man, I'm going to be loving to my wife. You can stop spanking me now, right? Learn the lesson. Guys, just think about this, guys. And this should not be so mind-boggling to us. You have children. Remember seasons where you just wrestle with your children? You're going... Crumb, how long are we going to, how many times do I have to take your phone away? How long? What would be the easiest way for them to get their phone back? Learn the lesson. And I'm just going to tell you guys, if, if you're in the middle of struggle, if you're suffering with something and you begin to pray and you say, God, look, I don't get it. I don't get why I'm struggling right now. I don't know what you're doing. And in your heart, the spirit begins to confirm, I'm teaching you. I'm teaching you to trust me. I'm teaching you patience. I'm teaching you uh, faith in hard moments. When you get, when you begin to say, oh, "You know what? I think I think the Spirit is telling me that God is teaching me something." The most powerful thing you can do next: learn the lesson. Commit yourself completely to saying God, "Okay." Form that. In, form patience in me. Form trust in me. Because I am really ready to be done with the lesson. Okay, we got one over there. Um, I think to a certain extent we, uh, we suffer because we just make bad decisions and that's the natural consequences of them. Or, or I love that answer. Okay, so sometimes we suffer because we make bad decisions. Here's what you need to know. Making bad decisions and having consequences because of your bad decisions is not suffering. That's life. It's not. Making bad decisions and then suffering consequences because you did something stupid. If you go out and you go, hey, you know, I don't know I have much money, but I'm going to go out and buy that car for 600 bucks a month. And now you're struggling to make your bills. That is not suffering. That's just stupid. Okay. Okay. And you, I, I I can't tell you how many times as a pastor I'll have someone come in, into my office and say, I just don't get it. I don't understand why God's making my life so hard. And you go, well, what's hard in your life? Well, my marriage is really cruddy. Well, did you marry a Christian? No. Were you a Christian when you married him? Yeah. Did you know that was disobedient? Yeah. Have you raised your kids in church? No. They're all rebellious. Making bad decisions and then living with the consequences of bad decisions, that's not suffering. That's just dumb. And it's just you living with the results of really horrible behavior. And the best way to get past that is stop making dumb decisions. Just don't do that anymore in your life. And I'm just telling you guys, if, if you've made bad decisions that have resulted in the yucky moments of your life that you're struggling through right now? That's you. That's not God. It's not anything. It's you. And the very best way to get out from under that is start making good decisions. But that's not suffering. That's just dumb. Yeah. Uh, To create a way for non-believers to witness how Christians handle suffering. So it's a modeling process for non-believers, I think, if we do it right. Say it again. To create a model for non-believers okay. to see how you should handle suffering in a All right. Christ-like way. Okay, guys, this one's this one's a little hard for us, but we're, it's a dead-on answer for why you suffer sometimes. And guys, here's, again, anytime you're suffering, here's the first question you ought to ask. Have I been disobedient? Because, remember we just said, hey, if if you've made bad decisions and you're just living with the result of bad decisions, that's suffering. But here's the other thing that's not suffering. If you're being spanked. So if you've lived in sin and now God is spanking you for your sin, that is not suffering. When you put your child over your knee and spank them, that is not suffering. That's discipline. Okay? Okay? And and you can't go, oh, God, why is this? You know why this is happening. You've lived in disobedience. It's not suffering, okay? So the first thing I have to do if I feel like I'm suffering is I go, hey, God, is there any sin in my life? Are there bad decisions in my life? This is just the natural consequence. And if I can get past that and go, no, I didn't, you know, I didn't go into debt on a car at 18% interest that I couldn't. I didn't do that, and, and and I'm not living in sin, and yet I've got stuff going on. Well, then at that point, it's potentially suffering, One of them could be, and we just said, learn dependence. One could be to teach lessons. But here's an interesting one, guys, that I think we so often miss, and yet it is a common use of suffering in our lives. And it's simply this. You realize God loves people? You realize that, right? And you've got people in your life who God is hoping will accept Jesus as their Savior. But here's the problem. God knows if he spanked them... That instead of coming to him, they would run from him. Does that make sense? So if God is wise and he goes, look, I mean, they really do deserve a spanking. But if I gave them a spanking, they would run away. So what good does it do for me to give them a spanking if it only results in them being further away from me? Does that make sense? But I've been kind to them up till now and they haven't come to me either. So, what if, just think about this. What if, I I see it. Well, wait a second. What if in love, our mic runners are very excited tonight. It's great. I love that. All right. So, what if in love, God said, I love your niece, and I want your niece in heaven, and I want your niece to know Jesus Christ. But if I go after your niece directly, your niece is never going to make the decision. So, here's what I'm going to do I'm going to put her aunt and uncle on assignment. And I'm going to ask her aunt and uncle to go through something that's really, really tough. And here's why. The niece is going to watch. And when she sees you have faith in Jesus Christ, hold unwavering to your trust in him in the hard times, it will intrigue her. It will startle her and suddenly awaken a curiosity in your niece. About God, and if you knew at the end of the day that your niece would come to Jesus, wouldn't you have raised your hand and say, "Bring it on, God! Bring it on!" I mean, if my niece gets to go to heaven, bring it on. I'll go through some hard times so that she can see Jesus in me. And I'm just telling you guys, there's all sorts of times in our lives where you and I are going through something, and you've got to be very careful. You don't get angry at God, start going, "God, what are you doing?" Because the reason God brought it was so that your niece could watch, your coworker could watch your daughter or son could watch and see Jesus in you in the hardest of times. You guys know my story, right? You guys know about my mom and my parents' divorce and just living on beans and and all of that. But guys, I'm just going to tell you, you know what my strongest reference for a Christ-like life is? My mom. Because as a nine-year-old boy, I watched her live through the darkest moments of life and I went, man, if she can stay faithful to Jesus then I ought to be able to stay faithful to Jesus. And you don't know that when you're facing the hardest moments of life, it's because God has honored you and literally put you on stage in the spotlight for somebody you love to see Jesus in you in the hardest moment of your life. Which means moments of suffering are the moments you and I need to be sure we live really, really well because we don't have any idea who's watching And what God is trying to do with them. And if in that moment they watch you and I lose faith, if in that moment they see us curse God, it's exactly the wrong message. Okay. All right. We had, wait, wait. We had hands waving. You laughed. And then we had one right there. Okay. So what's right there? Just something that you shared about pain. And one of the things I think about or what triggered my mind was pain or near-term pain is a more powerful motivator than any pleasure. And that triggered my mind because I thought about transformation. So in order for us to transform, we have to go through some kind of pain yeah. so we can do the transformation. It, you know, it's unfortunate, but very i mean, very often that's how we get where we need to get is pain. It just is. Yep, do it again real quick. I was just going to say that um, along with the, how much people are watching our response, um They're also watching what God's doing, and sometimes it's just to see what miraculous way God's going to respond to our need is enough to get someone's attention. Absolutely. And so the only thing I'm adding to that is you and I've got to be careful that in the midst of that Mm -hmm. moment in which God's going to rescue and God's going to do what only God can do, you and I've got to be sure that we're not cursing God for the problem because then the message gets lost. Yeah. At just kind of stepping back to bad decisions. One of one of the sayings I've seen as of late that I really repeat quite a bit is: we all have free will to make our own choices, but we don't have the, we don't get to choose our own consequences. Mm-hmm. So, okay, real quick, and then I got we got to move on because you guys are slowing me down. How about burying other people's mistakes? And seeing that you become better rather how about, than bitter. How about doing what now? Bearing other people's mistakes in your life. Mm, okay, so I'm not going to go there real long, but I'm going to say this real good. Hey, guys, here's two things you've got to be very, very, very careful of. You want to be very careful about picking up somebody else's mistakes. Two reasons, okay? Two reasons. Number one is this, that when somebody, when somebody has problems in their lives, the Bible says that God gives them grace. So in other words, let's say somebody gets fired unjustly and now you're their mom or you're their friend and you get bitter toward that boss for firing your friend unjustly. Stop it. Stop it. Here's why. They are actually going to be given the grace to forgive. This happens with parents when their daughter or their son has a spouse who treats them very, very poorly. And then mom and dad get bitter. But guess what the son or the daughter ends up doing? Forgiving. Forgiving. Because God gives them grace to forgive. But mom and dad stay bitter. Guess why mom and dad stay bitter? Because they were never given grace because it wasn't their offense. They weren't the one actually wounded. And you and I have got to be very careful about taking up somebody else's offense. Because you and I aren't given the grace for it. And here's the second thing. The other thing i got to be careful of is that when somebody's making a lot of bad decisions or making a lot of mistakes and you and I keep rescuing, and guys, I'm just going to say this out loud. You can get mad at me if you want to, but the biggest mistake of our generation is that we have rescued our kids way too often. And we have taught our kids that consequences aren't real and mom and dad will always bail them and they always get a second chance and they always get... That's not true. You don't always get second chances and you don't always... And we've taught horrible life lessons to our children because we've bailed them all the time. But here's the other thing, guys. If you and I keep stepping in between consequences that may actually be, you ready for this? God-given consequences. God-given spankings to our children for dumb decisions that they made. And you and I kept stepping in between. And God really loves your child and wants to get this lesson done. Then guess what God's going to do? He's going to get a bigger paddle so he can paddle you at the same time. It's a bad decision. And so before you go to rescue your child, you need to stop and pray and say, God, is this consequence something that you brought and that you're doing to teach my child a life lesson that they need? And if that's the case, I don't want to rescue them. Let them pay for their own car wreck. Let them pay for dropping out of their own school classes. I I don't want to get in the way of you, God, teaching them and helping them to grow up. And so I'm, I'm not going to take a spanking for them. I think, you know, there's moments where you, in discernment, say, hey, wait a minute, this is a moment of real unfairness in my child's life, and this is something that, that they did not bring upon themselves. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help them with this. And I think God does that to us, right? But when remember, when it's the result of a bad decision, that's just a bad decision. Let them pay for that themselves. And don't get in the way, because God may spank you too. Yep. Um, just a quick story. Um, my son decided to take on... Um a charge like a misdemeanor charge for somebody else's mistake Mm. and he had to go to court and five young people just of his age about 23 all stood before the judge and they were sentenced badly to community service fines and 30 days worth of jail time and i told my son well i'll be there with you and i'll stand but we you will you will have the consequences that are dealt and the judge looked at him Gave him probation and let him go, hmm. and I told him. He said, I said, "You like a cat with nine lives, but you're not going to do this again, are you? You're not going to take on somebody else's guilt, yeah, or responsibility." And T- taking on happened. taking on someone else's guilt is Jesus's job, not ours. Okay, all right. One last one, real quick, and you, we got to move on because you guys, are, we're never going to finish chapter eight, and it's all your fault. All right. Um, the last one, really, really quick for suffering. Guys, and here's the reason I want to say this, because I think we handle suffering so poorly in America. We, we just think it's always a curse. But here's the last one. Sometimes suffering is God giving you a ministry. I'm just going to say this. It's going to sound really weird to you, but I'm just going to tell you that some of the most powerful ministry in the world happens on the other side of some sort of a struggle. Hey, I I was a woman, and I I miscarried, and now all of a sudden I'm ministering to all sorts of other women that miscarried. I'm a woman, and I dealt with infertility, and suddenly I'm ministering to all sorts of other women who are dealing with infertility. Um, uh, I'm a guy, and I was fired unfairly from a job, and then God provided me a greater job, and now all of a sudden I'm counseling guys who are struggling in the job market. And I'm just telling you that often out of pain, God creates a ministry. Uh, Many of you remember, remember Malinga? All right, little, little tiny guy that was from Zambia and he got thrown in jail improperly because he was riding with the wrong guy. And in jail, he ended up winning, we think we figured out, almost 10,000 prisoners to Jesus Christ while he was imprisoned in jail falsely. Now that's God giving a guy a ministry, right? And so you've got to be very careful in the midst of suffering that sometimes God is preparing you to minister to other people. And it's, it's so weird because we always think suffering's bad and yet isn't Scripture just telling us the opposite? that sometimes suffering is the most powerful thing God uses in our lives. Okay. All right, here we go. Uh, Verse 18, I consider if the present suffering is not worthy to compare with the glory that will be revealed in us, for the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of one who subjected it in hope, that the creation itself will be liberated from its... Bondage to decay and brought into freedom and the glory of the children of God. Okay, so a little bit funky there. Listen, we can get through that. Says creation longs, longs to see the day um, when it will be liberated from this bondage of decay. When was creation subjected to this bondage of decay? When did that happen? Adam. So you realize when Adam fell, he not only took all of mankind with us, but he took creation. Remember, all of a sudden, thorns sprout up, sickness becomes present. This world has been hemorrhaged by the decision of Adam, not just the children of Adam, but this world we live in, right? It is far less than what God originally created. It says the world longs, and it's, it's a figurative thing, right? Because we know the world doesn't have actual personality. But it's, it's a figurative thing. It's, the world longs for the day that the sons of God Will actually then see their glory. Why would the world be waiting for that moment? Isn't that interesting? What happens to this world after the second coming of Jesus Christ? New heaven, new earth. And the world will absolutely be restored to where it was in the days of Eden. All of the fall will be erased off of this world. So it's an interesting thing. It says the world, figuratively, longs to see the day when you and I get completed because its completion is not far behind. And a real cool thing, you know, and we're not going to talk a whole bunch about Revelation because we don't have time, but uh, the Bible says there'll be a new heaven and a new earth. You and I are going to be able to go up and down between the two and travel around, and it's going to be pretty darn cool. A bunch of deer running around and waterfalls and, yeah, all that stuff. All right, here we go. Uh, whatever you saw in, what is that rainbow? Anyway, all right. Uh, verse 22. Uh, we know that the whole creation has been groaning uh, as in pains of childbirth right up until the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. Well, wait, 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 wait. Why are we waiting for the adoption of sons? I thought we already were the sons and daughters of God. So why are we waiting for the adoption of sons? Matter of fact, grab your Bibles, go with me really, really quick. Uh, Go with me uh, to 1 John. If you're not real familiar, 1 John's almost at the back of your Bible. It's 1 John chapter 3. uh, Starting in verse 1, here's what it says. Uh, See what a great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. And that is what we are. We are the children of God. The reason the world does not know us is that it didn't know him. Dear friends, now we are the children of God. And what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him for we will see him as he is. So what does it mean here when he says, hey, wait, 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 we're waiting for the adoption of sons. Because I thought we already were the sons and daughters of God. Isn't that an interesting phrase? What do you think he's referring to? to Hmm, I don't think it's making it known to everybody. Because if you and I are obnoxious enough, we'll make it known. Huh? Huh? There we go. Encouraging us to live like Jesus. Well, I think it's encouraged, but that's, I don't, I don't think that's what the adoption of sons is. Yep. Here we go. Uh, In your resurrected body. What? In the resurrected body. Hmm. Okay. So stop and think about it. You and I are Christians. We are sons. We have received the promises of God, but have we actually had them all fulfilled in us yet? Anybody had all the promises of God fulfilled in them yet? All right. Anybody still got their old nature they're struggling with? Anybody already been to heaven and I don't know about it? Because we're going to have a weird talk in a minute. Uh, Anybody, you know, already got their glorified body and you're walking through walls and doing all that stuff, right? Okay. Uh, Anybody in here already sinless? No. Okay, so the reality is, although you and I have been made the sons and daughters of God, we still have not received all the promises. Maybe another way of saying it, the inheritance that comes along with it. We haven't gotten that. And so, what this passage is talking about when it says, hey, we are eagerly uh, waiting for the adoption of the sonship and the redemption of our bodies, it's saying there's this moment when we get to heaven when it's almost like all the paperwork is finally filed, it's all legally done. And then we receive all the rights, all the privileges of our sonship, of our daughtership, which is actually good because it's great to know that there's still more coming, right? How many, how many, of, you, how many of you have parents who have written you in their will? Okay, it's exactly the same thing, right? Because in theory, it's yours, but it's not actually yours. Until the will is executed. Right? Does that make sense? That's what this is saying. Until we get to heaven, until we stand before him, this isn't done yet. It's not legally fulfilled. Yep, got a hand. Is it? Is it because we become pure at that time? Yeah. It's because he takes away the sin nature. It's because we get our glorified body. It's all of that. It's all the things that he has promised us that still haven't been actually given yet, but because God promised us it's as good as done, right? Okay. All right. Let's keep going because we got a little more to get done. All right. Verse 26. Uh, In the same way, the spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't know what we ought to pray, but the spirit himself intercedes for us through words and groans And he who searches out our hearts and knows the minds of the spirit because the spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with God's will. Okay, so this is really, really cool because how many times have you sat there and said, man, I don't even know how to pray or I don't even know what to pray right now. I mean, there's just this thing going on. I don't know if I should pray that God spanks them. I don't know if I should pray that God heals them. I don't even know what to pray right now. And here that you read it saying, it's okay, it's Okay. Pray whatever you are capable of praying, whatever you're capable of understanding that moment because the spirit is able to understand your heart and he goes before the Lord and delivers it perfectly. You realize every prayer you've ever prayed was perfect because the Holy Spirit took it before the throne of God on your behalf and it was always perfect when it was delivered to him. Isn't that remarkable? You've never stuttered in prayer in heaven. Because the spirit has taken it and made it what you intended it to be on your behalf, which is super 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 cool for us Okay back to the passage Verse 28 And we know that in all things god works for the good for those who love him who've been called according to his purpose For those god foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son Now we've talked about this before. So this part should be easy for us. So let me ask you a couple questions He says in this passage, because this is the passage that we quote to everybody when they're in the hospital, right? We quote this to everybody when they lose their job. Oh, no, I know you lost your job, but God's going to work all things to the good. Which is really our way of rubbing a little rabbit's foot on it and saying, it'll work out. It'll work out. Don't worry about it. But is that really what this passage says? No, it is not what this passage says. It says, he will work all things... For the good of those who love him. The question is this, you ready? What's good? That what is good? Yeah, all right, come on, runner. Or you do you have a mic back there? Oh okay, we have back there and then we'll come on All right. What's good? Look at you, Aiden. It is Aiden, right? Oh, that's pretty good. All right. All right. So what did we have back there? Did we have a mic?
1: Yeah, I've yep. got a mic.
0: I was not uh, I asked the wrong this. question and confused um, you, didn't I? No, I've got a question ahead of you. you. You jumped into purpose. Okay. And I was interested in how you thought that he thought prothesis, which is translated roughly as showbread, uh, pertains to us according to his purpose. I don't understand why he would have used that word prothesis which is literally translated as showbread, that we are, the, we are called according to his showbread. Mm-hmm. And I, I understand some of the themes of the Bible, but I don't understand that word being used there. Yeah, the showbread, you know, and then it was used as a symbol and as, a, as something to uh, be a reminder of his provision. And I think in this case, he's starting to say, hey, I'm going to put you on display as I do this. And you will become a symbol and a reminder of my purposes that are being lived out. So I think that's maybe why the word is used there a little bit interchangeably, potentially. All right, so come on down here. What is good? Um, I think our definition of good isn't always aligned with his definition of what, good. What is, what, is, what is our definition of good? Well, I think what's truly good is whatever gives glory to God. Okay. I'll go with you on that. But what what do we most often call good? It feels good. It makes me happy. You, You guys realize you never want to live your life for happiness because happiness is simply a reaction to circumstances, which means you'll never be happy when circumstances are bad. It makes me feel good. It makes me happy. I got a raise. Everybody loves me. That's good, right? Everybody's healthy. That's good. Yeah. Um, God's good would be us being conformed to the image of Christ. Okay. All right. And I think, so let, let's look at the passage again because you, you, you got us there. Here we go. Uh, and we know, verse 28, and we know that in all things God works for good for those who love him. And what you've got to understand is good is not your plan. Good is not I get a new car. Good is not I don't have problems. That's not good. Good is, you ready? He works for the good for those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. Ready? And then verse 29, he answers it. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. What is good? Good is you look more like Jesus when he's done. That's good. Which means it may be painful. It may be hard. It may be unfair. That's that. It's good. It's good if it makes you more like Jesus, because the goal at the end of the day is not comfort. If you live your Christian life trying to be comfortable and safe, you will fight God your entire life because God never invited us to be comfortable or safe. Just ask Peter when he walks on the water. Just ask Daniel when he goes to the lion's den. Just ask David as he walks out to see Goliath. Jesus never invited you to be comfortable or safe. He invited you to be like him. He invited you to be a disciple. And good is anything that moves you closer to Jesus Christ. Which means it may hurt. Which means it may be hard. Which means it may take a long time. But it's good because you came out the other side looking more like your Savior. And if you keep defining good as it felt good and I had a lot of fun and it was easy, then you will argue with God your entire life. Your prayers will be, God, why, why, how come, why did you, why is it unfair? And he'll be going, because it's good. It's the very thing I'm using to teach you to be like my Son. All right. I can tell we don't like it, but we're getting it. Okay. All right. Okay. Uh, Verse 30. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he justified. And those he justified, uh, he also glorified. Verse 31. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he also, along with him, graciously give us all things? You, you get what he's saying? He's saying, guys, 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 I know I just told you that it can get rough, and I know I just told you it could be unfair, and I know I told you it could be hard, but understand this. God is for us. God is with us. And can you believe for a moment that God who loved you enough to send his son to die for you is now going to leave you hanging. There's just no chance. So no matter how hard it gets, no matter how frustrating it gets, no matter how dark it gets, you need to know God is for you. And if God be for you, then tell me who can beat you? Who who wins against you if God is for you? But again, we got to remember this. Winning doesn't always mean, hey, I come out unscathed. Winning doesn't always mean the bad guy loses. Winning means you and I become that much more like his son. That you and I in that moment live that moment as best you can. And guys, I was going to remind you, if you read the Bible, there's a lot of Christians in the Bible who died following Jesus. But they won. Why? Because they were faithful to the end. Because they stood true to their faith. Because in the hardest moment of life, they said, I choose Jesus instead of anything else. And that's winning. That's winning. If God is for us, who can be against us? Verse 33. Who will bring any charge against those with whom God has chosen? It is God who justified... Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus died. More than that, he was raised to life and is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. So he's just reminding, saying, look, look, guys, guys. Now that you and I have become Christians, now that you and I are following Christ, you realize we've been forgiven for everything, right? I mean, that all has been... So there's, there's no one who's going to be able to now run us down or condemn us or say, oh yeah, but this is what you used to do. And this, you you realize, you realize that's all under the blood of Jesus Christ. I mean, the reality is even when Satan tries to make us feel guilty about things in the past, you realize he's bringing up things that have already been forgiven. The crazy thing is sometimes Christians bring up things in their past and you realize they're forgiven. You realize that once you've gone before God and confessed and Said, "Hey God, I know I shouldn't have done that." And you know, when you go back that third and fourth time, going, "God, I just want to say it one more time, I'm I'm sorry, I'm sorry." You going, which, "What sin are you talking about?" Well, no, you know the one on Thursday night, and I, you know, I shouldn't have, and I did. And He goes, "I don't know which one you're talking about." Well, no, you remember I was with my friends, and they were kind of encouraging me, and then I he goes, "No, I don't remember because he already forgave it. It's gone." He's saying, "Why are you still living with it? Why are you still?" It's done. It's under the blood of Jesus. And the matter of fact, if anybody were to bring it up again, it says Jesus is standing there by the throne of God, saying and whispering in God's ear, no, 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 that one's on the cross. That one's on the cross. So why do you and I condemn ourselves, or why do we let others condemn? Okay? All right, here we go. we got about a minute left, I think. Is that right? About a minute? Okay, one minute. Here we go real quick. All right, all right. Alright, so here we go. I'm just going to say this real quick. You can be mad at me and then you can come back next week to yell at me. Alright, here we go. So it's verse 35. Here we go. who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to the slaughter. No, and in all things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. So Nor is it saying, look, when we start figuring out this salvation, then man, we're just all in. We're, we just say, look, God, I'll follow you in here. I don't care if I suffer. I don't care if I'm persecuted. I don't care. I'm all in. I'm not going to give up on you, Jesus. I will follow you or die trying. It's the proper response of a Christian. But here's the really cool part about it. He says, Not only are you and I all in, now verse 38, he says, For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So you get what he just said. Not only are you and I to be all in, it's because God is already all in for you. And he will never let anything... No, no, no matter how far you go, no matter how high you go, no matter how many times you blow it, no matter what you do in the future, no matter what you've done in the past, God is still for you, and He will not let you be separated from Him. It's called eternal security, and it's called once saved, always saved. And it's a really, really, really cool passage in Scripture. As a matter of fact, I call this, just for fun, I call this the dumb and dumber passage in the Bible. So, and some of you have heard me say this before, but we'll just close through this. If you've never seen the movie Dumb and Dumber, you've actually been blessed. But uh, in the in the movie Dumb and Dumber, uh, there's this moment when Jim Carrey's character is talking to some really uh, beautiful girl and about trying to go out with him, and she's trying to very graciously say to him, "I'm I'm not going to go out with you." And so she says, he says, you know, would you go out? And he goes, she goes, well, no, you know, it's just, it's not going to happen. And and he goes, you mean never going to happen? She goes, no, it just, it just, it's, it's, it's just really, really unlikely. It's just, it's just, it, it, I I just couldn't even consider it. I wouldn't, I can't even imagine it. But, but, you know, I, 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 yeah, I just can't see it. And finally, Jim Carrey's character says, so what you're telling me is there's a chance. I think Jesus wrote that verse, the one we just read in the Bible, so that every Christian reading that verse would say, no, no, I get it. Jesus just told me, there's not a chance that I would ever lose my salvation. Neither height nor death, nor powers, nor angels, nor demons, nor my past, or my future, or my present. Nothing can separate me from my God. It's the dumb and dumber verse, I think, of the Bible. All right, here we go. Let's pray. Hey, dear Lord Jesus, thank you for tonight. Thank you for a chance to study uh, your Word together. God, I, I just pray would you would you take the fact that we've placed ourselves in here to learn and to grow, but more than that, God, would you would you empower us to leave here and to live differently? To to be a greater impact in our neighborhoods and at our jobs and uh, in the clubs and things that we belong to, that people would just see so much Jesus on us. And God, I just I want to pray tonight for those of us that are in this room who walked in this room saying, man, my, I, I just feel like so much of my life is unfair right now or I'm struggling with something and I've been praying so long for God to just kind of deliver me from it that maybe there would be a reconsideration in this room to say, hey, maybe this is something God is having me walk through so that in the process of living for him in this moment, I would become more like Jesus. And maybe God's cooking me a little bit right now. And that God, if that's the case, that we would be amazingly, amazingly fast learners. And this I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks for being here tonight, guys. Thank you.